we're going to be continuing our series called No Doubt About It. And we began this series last week. Now, there's a big baptismal here set up because this morning I got to do some baptisms that were really unique. Um, one of my friends, uh, my best friend growing up, his name was Steve, he called me last week. He lives out in Illinois and he said, hey, um, would you baptize my kids? My kids are, would really like to get baptized and they're gonna be, we're going to be in town and we would love to have you do the baptisms. And so I got to baptize their kids this morning, which was so cool. But it got me and my buddy Steve talking about all of the things that we had done as kids. We were best friends growing up through all of high school, middle school, um, into college. And we just had so many incredible adventures together. We actually met in a pool. Um, he was, we were both in third grade and I was with my friend Jeremy. And my friend Jeremy knew him and I didn't know him. And so my, my friend Jeremy said, hey, let's go pick on that kid. Let's go, let's go flag him in the pool. And so we went over to flag him and we tried and he punched me in the lip and we were best friends ever since. Like that's the way that you're normally supposed to happen, right? And so we kind of kicked things off there and from there forward, man, the, the thing about our friendship was no matter what, we were going to have fun. Like, like, you know, there are those givens in life, those things that you just know beyond the shadow of a doubt. Like, this is what's going to happen. I hang out with Steve. We're just going to have fun. It doesn't matter. And so we went to Smithtown Christian School together and um, we just did all that we could to just drive teachers kind of crazy, but in a fun way. We weren't like the bad, bad kids. We were like the fun, bad kids. You know what I mean by that? And so we would do all kinds of pranks. Now, before I tell you some of the things we did, first, you have to know we had really good relationships with the teachers. And secondly, you have to know it was a different world back in the day. I'm that old that it was a different world. So some of the things I'm going to share, you could possibly get expelled and or arrested for. But we had a lot of fun in school. So we would used to torment our chemistry teacher. So one one day we went into her room and we set up her entire room outside. We took every desk, every chair, and we set it up outside just for fun. And we just thought that would be the funniest thing in the world. So I remember we were in history class and she came, she came running in, grabbed us both by the ear, practically cracked our heads together and told us to go fix it. And the other thing we love to do is staple her sleeves shut on her lab coat. And so she'd be like all into like boron and phosphorus and everything. And she'd go to put her lab coat on, she'd kind of get stuck. And so we'd be all cracking up. We thought that was the funniest thing. But then we did it again to her, and she realized we had done it. And so she's looking at her sleeves, seeing the staples. She's like, guys, you can't get me twice, you know. And so she, she takes all the staples out. And little did she know, we stapled the insides of the sleeves, too. So she actually did get stuck again. We're like, yes, we got you. Um, another time, I remember my parents were away, and so me and Steve were driving out on the expressway by exit 62 in my little red Nissan pickup truck, and I got this, you know those those like old school trucks that had like those caps you could put on the back. And so we're just flying down the expressway. All of a sudden, the cap lifts up off my truck. I see it go airborne and fly out into the middle of the expressway and sparks are flying. And it probably went something like this. It was a long time ago, but oh my gosh, what just happened? That was so awesome, right? And so we went running out into the middle of the expressway. We're trying to like dodge cars, grab the cap, put it back on. But no matter what we did, we had fun. You know, we had, we personally, we went through some hard times. Steve, uh, he lost some people in his life that were close to him and that uh, he went through some really hard things. But, but we found a way, no matter what, no doubt about it, to have fun and to laugh. And we were just sort of known as those two guys that were always laughing and fooling around because it was just a given. It's just what we did. And you know what? In this series, we're talking about those things that are givens, those things that there's just no like even thought about, like, oh my gosh, no doubt about, these are the things that are true. And last week we started out by simply saying, you are loved, no doubt about it, you are loved. And sometimes our failures scream out that we can't be loved, God couldn't love us, and sometimes our, our pain and, our, and our, our hurt 
cries out, God couldn't love us. If he did love us, then why would he be letting us go through this? But at the end of the day, as we kind of worked through everything last week, I hope we discovered together that, man, no doubt about it, we are loved. Now today I want to talk with you guys about another thing that there's no doubt about. And this thing I want to share with you tonight is, is simply this. No doubt about it, Jesus is alive. I want to talk about this because this is so, so important. No doubt about it, Jesus is alive. Now this is so important that we talk about this. And if you know me or you've been coming here for a while, you know that I talk about this once a year. I talk about this whole idea that Jesus can be trusted, that there's evidence and proof that Jesus is alive. And some of you guys may be saying, why do we talk about this every year? Like, what's the big deal? Why do we talk about this so often and so frequently? Well, first I want you to know that some of the stuff I'm going to share to you tonight is completely new stuff, okay? So I'm not just like, you know, copying and pasting old stuff and just, you know, this was an easy week. No, this was a a hard week still, okay? So I put my work in. But three reasons why we've got to talk about this all the time. The first one is that everything hinges on Jesus being alive. Everything hinges on Jesus being alive. And so if Jesus is alive, you are loved. If Jesus is alive, you're forgiven. You're free of all your sin. There's a heaven awaiting for you. If Jesus is alive, then someone's listening when you pray. If Jesus is alive, the Holy Spirit's in your life. Everything hinges on it. But if Jesus isn't alive, you are not loved. You have no one listening to your prayers. You're not saved. You do not have the Holy Spirit in your life, right? So this is so important that we stay convinced that Jesus is alive because everything hinges on it. The second reason this is so important is because some of us in the room have some doubts about this, right? Some of us doubt that Jesus is alive. And I just want to start out by saying, if you're here tonight and you're doubting, then you're in good company. There's probably several people in the room, many people in the room, maybe dozens of people in the room who have some doubt about whether Jesus is actually alive or not. And so if you're walking in here tonight, I just want you to know it's okay if you're working through that. And I think we're probably in some different categories of doubt. I want to show you a picture here on the screen. A really smart guy by the name of Bruce Bickle wrote a book called Answering the Toughest Questions About God in the Bible. And he came up with this thing called a doubt continuum. And the doubt continuum basically is different, four different stages of doubt or belief that we're working through, okay? Now, some of you guys walked in tonight, and you are all the way over here on the left. You're at outright skepticism, which means when someone says Jesus is alive, you go, no, he's not. Somebody says, I believe in Jesus, and he changed my life. You go, no, he didn't, right? There's just outright skepticism. That's where some of you are right now. Some of you are at this next phase, unbelieving doubt. It means maybe you wouldn't say there's no way Jesus is alive, but you're saying he's probably not. And I doubt it so much that I don't believe that he actually rose back from the dead. But then we get to this other side, and you see that line down the middle on that X? This guy, Bruce, says this is kind of the point of conversion or or people who put their trust in Jesus move past that line and they're in this third category maybe called believing doubt. And this is where I would guess many of us in this room tonight are. You believe in Jesus. You believe he's alive. You believe he's your savior. But there's some doubt mixed in there. I spent years of my Christian life at believing doubt. I spent years trying to figure out Okay, I really believe Jesus is alive, but man, I wish there were more evidence. Man, I wish I was more certain. Man, I wish there were more proof. And some of you guys are there right now, wrestling through it, going, I've got a reason or two I think Jesus is alive, but I wish I just simply had more evidence about it. And so tonight, I hope to encourage you with more evidence. And then the last category is where some of us are, absolute certainty. 
It's just like Jesus is alive. Absolutely he's alive. And those of you who are thinking that are thinking tonight, why do I need to listen to this message? Well, I'll tell you why, because it leads right into the third reason we need to talk about this about once a year. See, the third reason we need to talk about this so often is that you know people who don't believe Jesus is alive. And you need to have answers for them. You need to be able to tell someone who doesn't believe Jesus is alive why you believe that he's alive, not just that you do believe. You need to help people see that they can be smart and be a follower of Jesus, that those two things aren't at odds. New York Times tested Americans on religious knowledge, and Christians were beaten out by atheists, agnostics, Jews, and Mormons. They all knew more about religion than Christians did overall. And it shouldn't be like that. We should be able to say, oh, wait, 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 I can give answers for why I believe what I believe. In fact, it says that in Scripture, always be ready to give an answer for the hope. Peter said that. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. And so tonight, maybe you're already at absolute certainty, but I want you to have answers for those who maybe aren't yet. And so we're going to work through this tonight. We're going to revisit some of this stuff. I want you to be able to share what you know with people around you, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, the people you go to school with. And so tonight I hope that we'll be able to just get our own faith strengthened. Maybe we'll all kind of take a step on that chart. If you came in here an absolute skeptic, I hope you take a, a step toward the right and you become maybe an unbelieving doubter or even a believing doubter. Or maybe some of you came in and you're a believing doubter. I pray that God will move you over to absolute certainty. And so I'm praying that we all take a step to the right, at least one step together tonight. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope that you see some evidence. I hope you see some proof as to why we believe what we believe. So if you've been around for a while, then you remember years ago when we did a 10-part series, and uh, we have that available for you guys. I'm not going to throw this, by the way. I see somebody getting nervous. What's he going to do with the stool? Um, This isn't like WWE. So out at the info desk, we have um, some evidence CD sets and some visitor CDs, and we actually did a 10-part series. And we talked about all the evidence, right? And we spent, um, uh, every single message represented a different piece of evidence. And you can grab that. Actually, we're actually out of the evidence CD sets tonight. But what you can do, Chris, if you just put up that image, if you go to our website and you just scroll to the messages tab right over here, down on the bottom is the evidence series. All 10 parts are there online for free. So you can just grab those and download them if you want. But, but what I'm going to do is today and next week, I'm going to give you the reasons that I think we have to point out that Jesus, without a doubt, is alive. And, and here's how this works for me. You'll remember if you've listened to the evidence CD set or the visitor CD, the visitor CD is just a one-part message where I, I talk about all the pieces. So you're welcome to take that. We have a bunch of those out there tonight. But basically, I think my theory is this, that, that if you're a follower of Jesus, right, many of us grew up, And let's just say this chair here represents my faith in God, okay? I would say many of us kind of had one piece of the chair. It's like some of you guys were like, okay, I believe Jesus is alive because he answered my prayer. And we're only hanging on to that one piece. Pretend I don't have the rest of the stool in my hand, right? We're hanging on to that one piece. And we're walking through life, and that life is good because God's answering prayer. But then all of a sudden, God doesn't answer a prayer that we wanted him to answer. And we're left holding our one piece, and we're going... I don't know if Jesus can be trusted. And your whole faith is blown apart. This happened to me. I was holding my one little piece of the chair. I went to college and my whole faith got blown apart. And see, what I want to say is over tonight and over next week, what the whole Evidence 10-part series is about, what the Visitor CD does, is it says we don't just have one piece of evidence that Jesus is alive. We have all kinds. We have 10 different pieces that come together to support our faith. 
And so what I want to do today and next week is I want to give you those 10 pieces of the chair that come together. Because when someone um, struggles and they say, wow, God didn't answer my prayer. Maybe he doesn't love me or he can't be trusted. No, wait, but I have all these other nine pieces that hold my faith together when I'm disappointed that my prayer wasn't answered. I can still see Jesus is alive and he's good even when my prayer wasn't answered, when I have all the other pieces that support my faith here together. And so let's start with the first piece. Now I'm telling you my story of doubt and skepticism and coming to faith and being able to say that maybe Jesus can be trusted. And so here is where I started. I started trying to figure out if the natural explained everything. Or if maybe there was a supernatural. The place I start is this natural versus supernatural battle. And I'm going, all right, God, if, if you're there, then the supernatural is necessary. But, but like if the natural explanation for how we all got here, how our bodies are made, the universe, if the natural explanation makes sense, then maybe there's not even a need for the supernatural. Maybe there's not even a need for God if the natural explains it all. Why do we even need the supernatural? And so I began to look into the natural explanation for how we got here and really say, all right, does it explain it all or are there holes? And here's one of the big things I wrestled with. I always thought that either you are smart and you believe in science or you believe in God. Do you know what I mean? Like these two different things, but they can't come together. You can't believe in science and be smart and believe in God. And that's kind of this misconception I had. But as I began to dig, you know what I began to find? I began to find smart brilliant scientists, people way smarter than me, who also believed in the supernatural, believed in a God behind all those natural explanations. In fact, somebody in about, I believe it was 1914, did a survey of scientists, and they found, as they asked this question, do you believe in a personal God? Do you believe in a God who interacts with people? They found that 40% of the scientists that they surveyed believed in a personal God. 20% were uncertain, and 40% said, no, we do not believe. And that shocked me, that 40% of the scientists in 1914. Now, in 19, I believe it was 97, they repeated the survey, and they got the same exact statistics. 40% of these brilliant scientists are still saying, yeah, we believe in a personal God. Now, one of the things we have to realize as we work through all this is a lot of the times we look at a scientist who maybe doesn't believe in God, and we go, oh, well, see, he must have come to that conclusion because of his science. So he was doing all this research, and he concluded because of the scientific research he did that God must not exist. But we have to remember is that there's all kinds of reasons why people don't believe in God. So maybe one of these scientists prayed, and God didn't give him what he wanted, and he began to doubt God. There's a really, really smart guy, and his name's Alistair McGrath. He's got a doctorate in biophysics from Oxford. He's also a theologian. And here's what he said, is said about him. It says, in McGrath's experience, most of his atheist colleagues brought their assumptions about God to their science rather than basing them on their science. So in other words, these scientists that he knew that didn't believe in God, it wasn't like they were in a lab one day and did an experiment and suddenly said, ah, I knew it. God can't exist. No, he's saying that somewhere out here in real life they were hurt or they went through an experience that was painful and then they brought that into the lab. They brought that assumption that God doesn't exist into the lab with them. And so we have to remember that there's lots of scientists who believe in God. There's lots of really smart people who believe in God, who believe that the natural doesn't account for everything. In fact, I've told you guys this before, but back in the day, there was about 100 scientists, brilliant guys, people who graduated from schools I could never apply to. They'd be like, oh, Doug Jansen's applying? 
yeah, right? I could never even, like, I wouldn't even look at my envelope, you know? Return to sender right away. But these brilliant guys, they got together, and they all believed in a creator. And they took out a full-page ad in a major newspaper, and here's what they sked. They sked this. They sked it. It's a whole other thing. It's like really smart people. They sked, sked things. So we're skeptical of claims for the ability of random mutation and natural selection to account for the complexity of life. Careful examination of the evidence for Darwinian theory should be encouraged. So here's all these brilliant guys saying, we think there's something more than just the natural explanation. And that was sort of the the first piece of the chair for me. That was kind of like, okay, wow, maybe there is a need for God. Maybe the natural doesn't explain everything, and there's a supernatural behind all that. But now I had to figure out who that was, right? I mean, I grew up Christian, but I started hearing in college about Buddha and Muhammad and Joseph Smith of Scientology and, or, or uh, Mormonism and, and uh, L. Ron Hubbard of Scientology and all these different options. And so now I had to figure out who was who. And so this was sort of the second piece of my chair. So, all right, cool, I got my, my natural versus supernatural figured out, but now I've got to figure out who God is. And so that was the next piece of the chair for me. And so I did what I call the truth and power test. I lined up everybody next to Jesus and I said, where do I find truth and where do I find power? Because God's got to be full of both, right? There's got to be truth that supports his claims. There's got to be power to change people's lives if I'm going to find God. And so I just line everybody up next to each other. And we do this all the time in life, don't we? We line up the options and then we see who stands out. Like those of you guys who are maybe in a dating relationship or you're married, you did this. You lined up the options, so to speak, and you're like, oh, she stands out or he stands out, right? Some of you guys maybe have purchased something recently. Maybe you researched all the options, you know. I've done this with pizza, man. We live in Long Island. You've got to be very careful about the pizza that you eat on Long Island. And, and my place right now in my hometown of Center Reach, Long Island, is Villa Gracia. I love that place out there. And my son Landon, he likes Domino's. I'm like ready to disown this child, you know? How, are you kidding me? And so the other day, the four of us in my family, we order Villa Gracia delivery, and Landon wants Domino's, so we order Domino's. And so my wife and I are sitting on the couch in the living room, and we see the delivery person walk up, and we're like, awesome. And then we see the other delivery person walk up. They got there at the same time. And now I never dated two girls at the same time, but I'm thinking this must be what it feels like. Because I feel like I have to go fix these relationships with these pizza places I'm dating. Like, like I open the door and I'm saying, Vila, Vila, we can work this out, baby. It's all right. She, she means nothing to me. She, that's my son Landon. Like, you know, I've got to figure this whole thing out, you know. But that's what we do in life. We, we say, okay, let me compare everything. And then what stands out? And that's what I did with Jesus. I took everybody and I lined them up. And if you listen to the Evidence CD set, I talk about four different major religions and how they line up next to Jesus. Now tonight, I'm just going to talk with you about one. And I'm going to talk with you about the most difficult one to talk about. Um, a few of them are really easy to see through. This one's the more tricky one. But I think it's important that we, we see how Jesus stands out even when we talk about the more tricky situation here. Now listen, as I mentioned different religions tonight, Buddhism, Mormonism, Judaism, all these different things, um, please, no offense, if, if you believe in any of these things, um, no offense to you that the research I did, I did on re- websites that were from your religion. I wasn't looking for like the Christian slant on Judaism, the Christian slant on Mormonism. Like I would go and really find out what do these different people believe. And so this is no offense to you. This is just what I found as I looked. So let's talk about Joseph Smith for a minute, okay? He is the founder of Mormonism. And Joseph Smith, here is his initial claim. I, I just tried to almost interview him. I mean, I couldn't talk to him, but you know, I almost interviewed him and said, Joseph Smith, what do you believe? Like, what's your initial claim? And here's his initial claim. It was that one day, an angel showed up 
and brought him to a field and had him dig in a certain place and he found some golden plates and on the golden plates was the Book of Mormon. That's his initial claim. And so now you give it the truth and power test. You say, okay, is there any truth, Joseph Smith, to what you said? Can you verify that this actually happened? And Joseph Smith would say back, well, it's a little tricky because I was told that if I let anybody see the golden plates, that they would be instantly killed. And I had to give the golden plates back. But I was allowed to show 11 people. There's the 11 eyewitnesses. And I showed them the plates. And and here's the thing, though. Here's where we run into a little bit of trouble with the truth test, is that there's lots of disagreement about what the people saw. Like, all the witnesses have some different stories. And one of the witnesses said that, that they didn't actually handle these golden plates It was all in a visionary state. They were praying, like, God, show us. God, show us these plates. Let the angel reappear and show us these plates. And then they had this vision of the plates. Other people would say, no, that's not true. I actually handled them. but, But then we also have some people who left Mormonism and left Joseph Smith and abandoned the whole thing altogether. And so even of the 11 witnesses, you have different stories. You even have the one guy who said it was a vision later in life saying, no, it wasn't. So there's lots of confusion. But I'll tell you what, if you brought it all to court, I don't think it would stand up. I don't think anybody would convict based on that evidence. But let's just say that you were willing to believe that Joseph Smith actually had the golden plates. Now we go to the power test. And we ask the question, okay, if these are real and the Book of Mormon is actually was given to you by an angel, does this have any power to change my life? And this is so important. The answer you would hear from Joseph Smith is no. You have to be a good person. You see, what I'm telling you is simply how to live your life so that you can kind of undo all the wrongs that you've done and maybe find forgiveness from God one day. So that's the best you get, even if you give them, okay, the plates are real. The best you get is just be a good person. I don't know about you, I've tried that. That doesn't work. I need someone to rescue me. And so now let's look at Jesus. Let's line Jesus up. So Jesus' initial claim is what? His initial claim is huge. It's enormous. It's that he's the son of God and the savior of the world. Look at John 3, 16, famous verse. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Huge claim right there. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to be forgiven, if you want a relationship with God, you have to let my sacrifice, my death on the cross and my resurrection be the thing that saves you. You cannot save yourself. And so here's this huge claim. And so now we give it the truth test. Jesus, can you prove that you actually are the Savior of the world? And he would say, oh, yes, I can. See, I was publicly crucified. And I publicly rose back again. I didn't just appear to 11 people who can't even agree on how exactly I appeared. I appeared to over 500 at one time. I cooked breakfast for my disciples. In fact, just so we would know the disciples weren't in like some kind of hallucination, seeing some vision, Jesus even said, come and feel the nail holes in my hands to all the doubting people in the room, Thomas especially, right? And so we have such a different thing when it comes to Jesus. And we're going to talk in a minute about how not only do we have the evidence of him appearing to all these people, many of those people who saw him alive would later go on to die saying they'd seen him alive. And we'll get to that in just a minute. 
But what about the power test? Okay, so I think Jesus passed the truth test, uh, test in a way nobody else does. But what about the power test? Jesus, what does your death and resurrection do for me? It does everything. It gives you everything I mentioned earlier. It gives you unconditional love. It gives you forgiveness of sins. It gives you heaven. It gives you salvation. It gives you the Holy Spirit. It gives you the ability to be able to approach God in prayer. What a difference. And we could line everybody up next to Jesus, and we're going to find the same thing. We're going to find that Jesus has so much more truth and evidence to back up what he says he can do for us. And we'll find power only in him. Jesus is the only one who came for us. Buddha did not come for you. He just simply said, hey, live this way. Muhammad did not come to give himself as a sacrifice for you. He simply said, hey, live this way. And we could go on and on, but Jesus stands apart. And so I think as I I look through all this, that truth and power were found in Jesus alone. The next piece of the chair for me, so I got my, my natural and supernatural. I got my truth and power. The next one is the eyewitnesses. And this is sort of the last big one we're going to talk about tonight, and then we're just going to fly through a fourth. The eyewitnesses are such a big deal because if Jesus claims to have risen back from the dead, man, we've got to have some substantial proof from, from some eyewitnesses, right? Well, look at what Peter said in Acts chapter 2. In verse 32, he says this, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. He's saying, hey, if you're wondering if Jesus is alive, I'm here to tell you I saw him back from the dead. So now we have to ask the question, well, why should we trust Peter? Like, why trust him? How do we know he wasn't just making this up? Well, the reason we can trust him is because he died saying he'd seen Jesus back from the dead. Like, they just kept getting in Peter's face saying, hey, we're going to just keep arresting you and beating you, and eventually we're going to kill you if you keep saying Jesus is alive. And he said, I'm just going to keep saying it. In fact, they put him up on a cross and crucified him because he wouldn't stop saying he'd seen Jesus alive. People don't do that if they're lying. You won't die for what you know is a lie. And so Peter here says, hey, let it cost me something to prove how confident I am that Jesus is alive. Give you an example. My son, Landon, recently experienced something interesting. We were playing this game called Quelf. I don't know if you ever played it. It's a very strange game. And basically, it's a board game, and you get like a card, and it tells you to do something really random. So it could be like, okay, lay on your stomach while the rest of the players take their next turn, and then you can get up. It's just all this random stuff. So we're playing. Landon draws a card, and he just kind of quietly disappears. I'm like, okay, and he just leaves. And then... We kind of got distracted. I don't remember if the TV was on or something or we started talking about something. But next thing we know, like a half hour has gone by. No one has seen Landon. And we stopped playing the game like 20 minutes ago. And so I started to call out like, where's Landon? Anybody seen Landon? And we start calling through the house and Landon will not come out. Now, as a parent, um, this has happened frequently where you're calling them, you're calling them. They just think it's the funniest thing in the whole world to stay hidden. So eventually I got to get tough. And I'm like, Landon, by the time I count to three, you better be in front of me or you're going to get disciplined, man. All of a sudden, bathroom door opens up. Landon comes walking out, and he's holding his quelf card. I'm like, Landon, where were you? What were you doing? He goes, well, my quelf card told me that I had to go into the bathroom and close the door and be quiet until someone came open the door and let me out. <laughs> and he's in there for a half hour, and I'm out there threatening to punish him. He's so committed to this game. But just think for a second about this, right? Even though Landon was really committed to the game, when I threatened punishment. When I told him it would cost him something, what did he do? He came right out. That's exactly what Peter would have done if he had been lying. 
when they said, hey, we're going to put you on a cross, just like Jesus was put on a cross. If he had been lying about seeing Jesus back from the dead, he would have said, ah, that was all a joke. I hope you enjoyed that one. We got you pretty good, right? But instead, not only did they put him on a cross, he was crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Savior. And so here we have Peter, the eyewitness who's willing to give his life. But if you're like me then, you ask the question, well, how do we know that Peter died for his faith? How do we know the eyewitnesses were willing to suffer for what they believed happened to Jesus? And the answer is we have not just the eyewitnesses, but we have the eyewitnesses of the eyewitnesses. Who are these people? These are people who knew the initial eyewitnesses. These are people who knew guys like Peter and John. And again, on the evidence CD set, I go into a lot of detail. I'm just going to give you one example tonight. A guy named Polycarp. He was a disciple or a friend of John. John was Jesus' best friend. John saw Jesus back from the dead. John was willing to be beaten and tortured and imprisoned. Eventually, he was boiled alive for his faith. So John befriends Polycarp. And by the time John and Polycarp become friends, do you know what's happened? Peter's already been crucified. James, the brother of Jesus, has been killed. Paul, the apostle, has been beheaded. And John's been beaten and tortured. And so John's telling Polycarp, you know what they did to me because I'm a follower of Jesus? Here's all the things they did. You know what they did to Peter? You know what they did to James? You know what they did to Paul? And so Polycarp knows all that these guys went through. And he's the eyewitness of the eyewitnesses. And now we could say, well, why should we take Polycarp seriously? Because he died for his faith as well. He was so convinced John knew what he was talking about and had seen a risen Savior that he died a horrible death. This is the account of his death. Somebody said to him, swear and I will release you. Curse Christ. Polycarp answered, 80 and six years have I served him. He never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who has saved me? So Polycarp's like, I'm not willing to renounce Jesus. You can do what you want. And they actually burned him alive. So then we have to ask the question, well, how do we know Polycarp can be trusted? Because we have the eyewitnesses of the eyewitnesses of the eyewitnesses. We're going out a third generation now, right? I'm going to give you one example. This guy's name is Irenaeus. He was a friend of Polycarp. And Irenaeus didn't necessarily give his life. But here's what Irenaeus did. See, there was this guy named Pothinus. And Pothinus was some kind of a religious leader. And they killed Pothinus. They imprisoned him because he was a Christian. He died in jail because of his faith. And then Irenaeus said, okay, Pothinus was just killed for being a Christian. I'm going to take his place. I'm going to take his job. Imagine they kill me for being the pastor of this church. And then Andrew or Joey, somebody comes and says, I'll take Doug's place. Well, there's a very good chance they're going to do to them what they did to me, right? And that's exactly the risk that Irenaeus is taking here. But he still went ahead and did it anyway, knowing that he could be the next one that they killed or imprisoned for his faith. And so we have all these people saying Jesus can be trusted. He is back from the dead. A couple of objections. One of you guys might say, yeah, but it seems a little strange that all this was going on. I mean, it almost seems like a little bit too fishy. I mean, really, like all these terrible things were happening to Christians around that time. Do we have any proof? Well, yeah, when you look at secular history, do you know what you find? you find these were the exact things that were going on to Christians. Guys like uh, Tacitus and Josephus, we're going to talk about them next week. These were not followers of Jesus. These were first century historians. And they talk all about what they were doing to the Christians. Throwing them to the beasts in the middle of the Colosseum. Burning them alive. Nailing them to crosses. The exact things that were told happened to the followers of Jesus in the first century. The other thought you guys might have is, Doug, 
people die for their faith all the time. You know, I mean, as sad as it is to think about, a Christian, a Buddhist, a Muslim, and a Hindu are probably all going to be killed for their faith today somewhere around the world. They can't all be right. They're not all dying for the truth. What's the difference? The difference is this. When someone in our day gives their life for what they believe, they're giving their life for simply something that they have faith happened. But when Peter died, he wasn't giving his life for what he believed. He was giving his life for what he saw with his own eyes. Huge difference between those two things. And so I think the eyewitnesses and the death, deaths and the, and the willingness to be tortured and beaten and imprisoned of the eyewitnesses is incredibly powerful proof that Jesus is alive. I'm going to give you the last little part here. It's going to be super quick. My fourth piece of the chair is miracles and changed lives. I was searching. I'm finding all this information out. I'm finding that Jesus stands out. I'm finding that maybe there's a supernatural behind the natural. I'm finding that, man, these all these awesome eyewitnesses have all these great things to say. But, man, I'm still struggling here. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, maybe this all happened 2,000 years ago, but does it still change people's lives today? Does God still answer prayer? Does he still heal? Does he still show up? Does he still do great things? And the answer I found was yes. God still transforms lives. He still frees addicted people. He still restores marriages. He still gives peace and joy and hope to people who don't have it. He still heals bodies. And you know, I think this is where some of us get stuck. Some of us, I think, we ask God for something to happen and then it doesn't happen. And we think, oh, God must not heal anymore. No, maybe we just haven't prayed long enough yet. Or maybe it just isn't God's will for this specific thing to be given to us that we really, really want. I mean, my mom died when she was 59. We prayed God would heal her. She died. But you know what? That probably would have thrown me a while back when I was holding just one piece of the chair. But the other nine pieces of the chair helped keep my faith intact even through that pain and that loss. And so just because we don't always get what we want from God doesn't mean he stopped healing. Doesn't mean he stopped changing lives. And so rather than tell you a bunch of stories tonight about miracles and changed lives, I want you guys to tell the story. And here's what I mean by that. If you have experienced God in your life, if he's changed your life, if you've seen him answer prayer, would you just raise your hand for a second? Just raise your hand really quickly. Let's just look around. Just look around. How cool is that? There's your evidence. There's your proof that God still does the impossible, that he still does miracles, that he still changes lives here today. So here's what I hope you're thinking. Here's what I hope you're feeling. I hope you're understanding tonight, no doubt about it, Jesus is alive. And we're going to work through six more of these next week. I kind of tackled uh, three of the really kind of long, difficult ones tonight. So next week we're going to fly through them. And we're going to have air conditioning, which will be nice. But I hope tonight you're going, man, I just kind of thought we just were supposed to believe this stuff. But there's actually evidence. And I hope tonight you're maybe willing to take a step to the, to the right of that chart. I hope maybe tonight you're willing to start to put your trust more and more in Jesus and who he is and what he's done for you. Because, man, this changes everything. If Jesus is alive, I'm loved, I'm forgiven, I'm saved. I have the Holy Spirit in me. God hears my prayers and heaven awaits me. And now maybe some of us have some answers for some people in our lives that we can begin to say, you know what I I believe? Not just because I should, but because, man, there are eyewitnesses. Did you know about that? And next week, we're going to get into all kinds of other awesome evidences. And you know what? Tonight, here's what I know. I know tonight, 
It's kind of like drinking from a fire hose. That's how I always describe this, you know? Remember when you were like a real young kid, or at least we did this back in my day. Maybe some of you are too young, and this is very unsanitary now. But man, back in the day, you should just drink from a hose, man. Just be like, I'm just thirsty. I'm just going to drink from a hose. Everyone's like, worms, parasites. Nobody would do that now, right? But today, I think you're not just drinking from a hose. You're drinking from like the fire hose, which means I just shot a lot out at you. Wow, I can't even talk anymore. See that? I shot a lot out at you. And and here's what I want you to do. I want you to to be able to say, maybe when you begin to have some doubt one day, you know, I can't tell you everything Doug said, but I know he said a lot. I can't give you all the pieces of the chair, maybe. I can remember a couple of them. But man, I just remember that there were so many different pieces of evidence to support that no doubt about it, Jesus is alive. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this amazing gift of salvation that you give. We thank you for the the sacrifice of your son, God. We thank you so much, Lord, that you have come and given us new hope and new life. And we just praise you that there is so much evidence that we don't have to be unintelligent to believe in you. Thank you, God, that you long for us to come to you. You long for us to seek your face. You long for us to look to you. If you're a follower of Jesus, maybe now, maybe just pray about some of your doubt. God is not afraid of your doubt. He's not intimidated by your skepticism or your questions. And maybe it's time to just say, God, man, I'm really struggling. God, help me see how real you are. Or maybe if you're kind of already at absolute certainty, maybe you could pray for opportunities to share with some friends or maybe pray for a friend who needs Jesus. But if you want to put your trust in Jesus tonight, then I want to encourage you to maybe just begin a conversation with God. And maybe you could just pray something like this quietly. Jesus, thank you so much for dying on the cross in my place. Thank you so much for your forgiveness. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that my failures don't rule me out from a relationship with you. Thank you that you came for me when no one else did. Jesus, just show me how real you are. Change my life. Be at work. And God, thank you for this amazing gift of salvation that I never could have earned myself. Amen.